Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Ed Stetzer. Uh, for the summer, I'm part of the teaching team here at Park and glad to open the Bible. Feel we had a missed opportunity in the worship this morning. I think we should have sang, You're a Good, Good Father. That's what I require my children to sing to me when they woke up this morning. And uh, it just seems that we should sing that, but I don't know. No, it's. Uh, uh, and, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to be here and share God's word with you. That's a dad joke, and I'm a dad, so I had to work in one dad joke. So. Uh, but as part of the teaching team here for the summer, uh, one of the things we do at Park is we explain the Bible, and the Bible helps to explain God. And so what I want to encourage you to do is take out your Bible and turn with me to Psalm chapter 16. If you're using one of those Bibles under the seats or when you came in, uh, go to page 453. I think it'd be helpful if you had it open in front of you. If you don't have a paper Bible, that's fine. Turn on a Bible, and you'll be able to follow along with us here in Psalm chapter 16. Uh, we're going to talk about this Psalm, uh, about our soul not being abandoned and more. Let me read the Psalm, and then we'll walk through it. Like I said, we'll explain the Psalm because the Bible explains God. Here's what it says. In Psalm 16, page 453, if you're using one of our Bibles, if not, hopefully you found your way over there by now. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I will take refuge. I will say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. For you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is clearly a psalm written by somebody having a good day. Uh, and here's the reality is the same person who wrote this name's David. He actually wrote some Psalms when he wasn't having a good day, but what's going on here? Actually, this Psalm is fascinating in multiple ways. For example, it's quoted, uh, twice in the new Testament. It's actually quoted in reference to Jesus. Keeping in mind, this was written centuries before Jesus was born. So our theme today is going to be because of Christ's sacrifice we can have Christ's certainty. And we're going to look at what that means as we go through this. But here on this day, we come to a psalm where David looks to God as his basis and our basis for confidence. The only true God in the face of counterfeit gods, our counsel in times of need, and the compassionate God who offers eternal life. This psalm gives great wisdom to us, also great wisdom for fathers to impart to their children as we talk about Father's Day. Now this psalm has some David in it, but actually much more about Christ. Actually, some say that, this, that David is prophetically speaking about Christ. Matter of fact, personally, one of the two places this passage is quoted is right before my life verse. So I'm actually going to tie that in a little bit later on. But one of the places it's quoted is in Peter, the Apostle Peter, centuries later, 
He's quoting this psalm in Acts chapter 2. We won't turn there yet. We will later. Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28, at Pentecost, or the birth of the church. Paul quotes it in Acts 13, 15. Uh, This is the first recorded sermon in Acts after Paul's new birth. And again, my life first tied into there. Shows the understanding that this psalm ultimately referred to Christ, right? And it points to, right, giving the, 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 the understanding of his human nature, of his suffering and victory over death and the grave, and ultimately his exaltation at the right hand of God. So, again, if you're new to Park Church, let me remind you, we explain the Bible because the Bible helps explain God, and this is a great passage for that. So remember, it's a psalm. So a psalm is like a song. It's like the songbook of the people of God in the Old Testament. Uh, this is actually called a miktam, and, along with five others, and we actually are not 100% sure what that means. There are things in the book of Psalms, particularly musical references, that nobody's 100% sure what they mean. You may have heard of one called Selah, and you know what that means? No, you don't, because nobody knows for sure. So there are no musical notes given in the Bible, which means we sing in the music of our culture, but we can also sing these passages. Uh, miktam could mean gold, could be something on gold plates or things of that sort. But our theme is going to be because of Christ's sacrifice, we can have Christ's certainty. So I'm going to look at four things today. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to jot them down as we go through. Number one on our outline, right, is prayerful confidence. Number one is prayerful confidence, right? We're going to start there with prayerful confidence. So you'll see this in Psalm 16. David's writing down his prayer. Here's what he says. Preserve me, O God. So it's a prayer, right? Uh, for I take, for in you, I take refuge, This is going to be a key thing, right? In God, we take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, David's not saying that everything's good all the time, but he's saying in you is good and I take refuge. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, right? So it doesn't mean we're lack of trouble here. Eugene Peterson once said this. He said, to be human is to be in trouble. Some of you can relate to that. You've felt that. You've walked through that. So David actually, even though I started by saying it seems like a guy's having a really good day, he's actually apparently in trouble or some kind of distress. What did he do? We don't know, but he turned to the Lord. We know some of the things David did, but whether it's facing the giant Goliath, the Philistine armies, or trouble in his own kingdom, David consistently looked to God. Though he was in despair at times, this is nevertheless a psalm of hope, showing the confidence David had in God and expressed in this prayer. Preserve, right? Preserve me has the idea of watching over, of guarding. Uh, there's no better security guard of our souls than the Lord. David petitions God for help, but he does so from a position of confidence and not fearfulness. David's declaration actually shows his confidence, two things we all need, right? God's security and goodness. He says, he preserves me, in you I take refuge, I have no good apart from you. And it reminds us actually of Paul's confidence in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I love that confidence, no matter what happens, we have confidence in resting in the goodness of God. But also, he talks about the community of faith. The community of faith. The saints in the land, he says, which is an interesting phrase, but his confidence is extended to those saints, the set-apart of God's people, and they give a sense of delight to David. I was talking yesterday to somebody who was uh, struggling spiritually, and I, and I, I actually said, invited, invited to come along with me here today. I said, let's get you in a community of people who are not perfect, 
but they too are struggling spiritually on this journey, but have confidence in God. So now David here doesn't focus on what his plight is. Matter of fact, this might be a good reminder too. When we focus too much on ourselves, we can, we, maybe we can glance at our problems, but we can gaze at our Savior. So when we focus too much on ourselves, we can have the struggle that comes from that. We focus, focus as vertical on God, then horizontally to the church, we can have security. In fact, it's a good thing to remind you of that. So I don't know about you, uh, but I heard a pastor say once that when you, uh, when you go to bed at night, you open your Bible, you read a few verses, and then you take your Bible and you leave your open Bible on your bedstand or the table next to your bed or whatever it may be, and you put it there so that in the morning, the first thing you pick up is this. Now, here's the problem. For most of us, the first thing we pick up is this. And this is not always your friend. There's bad news on there, right? Sometimes there's challenges. Maybe you're seeing difficulties. But again, if this is laid down at night, this is picked up, right? Start your day focusing not on the trouble you face or the trouble in the world, but with a fresh look at God and his word, right? Actually, Forbes magazine reminds us that seeing or reading something negative first thing in the morning can trigger your stress response and put you on edge for the rest of the day, unquote. Instead, take the time to reflect on the goodness of God as David models, right? Yeah, there's other things that will still be there, but to start there. So, so number one is we started by getting a picture first and foremost of prayerful confidence. But let's look at number two now. Number two is powerless uh, counterfeits. Powerless counterfeits, right? So, and he addresses these counterfeits. Remember, we're pointing to somewhere because of Christ's sacrifice, we can have Christ's certainty, but we got to get through the counterfeits first. So he says, the, the sorrows of those who run after another God. Now it's interesting, run after is an interesting phrase because we just sang a song, right? We sang, uh, all, uh, all my life you have been faithful. I'm looking at the lyrics. It says, all my life you have been faithful, oh, and all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing the goodness of God, yeah. It's always weird to me when they put the o's and the yeahs in the lyrics, but they do. Um, but it, part of the song says, because your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. It's a reminder, and it points us back to the picture, to the reality that God in his goodness is running after us. But in the Old Testament days, they were running after false gods. So it says, it says, the, the sorrows of those who run after Another God shall multiply. It's to pursue with enthusiasm, right? It's actually used to describe the running of someone seeking to acquire a wife in the Old Testament, right? So I was running after Donna Stetzer when we were 15 years of age. She wasn't Donna Stetzer then. Uh, when we were 15 years of age in high school, right? I was pursuing her. I was running after her. Well, here they're running after false gods. And it says there are drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord, remember the capital letters mean Yahweh is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Remember the words beautiful inheritance is that's going to become important later on. So David contrasts those who have confidence in God with these powerless counterfeits right? These powerless, their benefits of worshiping Yahweh, the true God, David's view of the good life is actually synonymous with close proximity to God. You want to pursue the good life? It's with close proximity to God. Idolaters never get what they hope for. Now, in the Old Testament, 
Uh, I said, I just was in Israel a couple of months ago. You could actually go to these places. You can go to these places where there are idols and people would actually worship idols and worship false gods. By the time we get to the time of the New Testament, most of the New Testament writers refer to idols as things we pursue, not little wooden or stone statues, but as things we pursue. So the Bible often uses the word idolatry to talk about things we pursue other than God. So you can make idols out of your children. You can make idols out of your reputation. You can make an idol out of your finances, right? You can make an idol out of your, out of physical fitness. You can make an idol out of a lot of things. If this becomes the all consuming reality. And when I say that, I know some of you are thinking, well, what about this? Could this be an idol in my life? Well, let's think about it, right? Uh, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods says this, an idol quote is anything more important to you than God. Take a moment, let that sink in. Is there anything in your life that's more important to you than God, that you're putting it before God, that it is the thing that you value more than your relationship with God? Back to Tim Keller's quote, is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, unquote. So we still today can pursue after idols. We can run after other gods, and yet counterfeit gods are powerless. Keller adds and says, an idol can be family and children, a career or making money, achievement or critical claim, saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty and your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, and even success in Christian ministry. He goes on to say, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I'll have that, then I feel my life has meaning, unquote. So still today, centuries after David wrote about running after false gods, I sometimes run after false gods. I imagine you do as well. But idols never keep their promises. They never fulfill. Compare that with David's beautiful words of worship. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He's satisfied. He had, he had this confidence in his inheritance. And we can say it this way, Christ is enough. In Numbers 18, verse 20, it says, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance. All right, I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So when we pursue after God, whatever gets lost is not an idol. It's interesting to watch. I was actually in New York City all last week, and I met with... I was actually there for what's called Lausanne Global Leadership Training, and we're planning a big event in Korea in 2024, the Lausanne 4 Congress. So I had the privilege of being there in, in, uh, in Flushing, which is, um, which is basically one of the three Chinatowns in New York City. And fascinating, because you can actually go by in some traditional settings, you can actually see a physical idol here or there. But during the course of the week, I met with, so I was the interim pastor of a church in New York City for about 18 months uh, during the last few year, couple of years. 
And so I met with one of the church members, and, and he was actually in financial services, right? He has, a, he has an office that overlooks uh, Central Park, very, very high up. He's been successful in so many things, and I could walk by and see a physical idol that happened to be here in this particular neighborhood, just a few doors down from the hotel, a physical idol right there. Yet we got together, and we spent most of our time talking about idolatry because we had lunch the day after the stock market tanked. And boy, you could see some idolatry exposed when people had all of their identity tied up into their financial success. You are my lot, is what David says. You, you alone, Lord, you are the one. This shows David's con- contentment, right? He was, con- whatever happened, he knew, whatever happened, he knew that God was still here. It's interesting. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He, maybe the other way to put it is he orders my steps. He lays out our life's direction. Pleasant places is literally pleasures. It's actually the same Hebrew word used in uh, verse 11, or Proverbs 16.3 puts it this way, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Those lines will be made straight. So it's a sense of trust that God's got a plan. He's got a path that we're on. He says, I have a beautiful inheritance, he says. He provides all we need and more. So one of the things is, one of the realities that we know about ourselves, we're actually, we are created to worship. We are worshipful beings. You will worship something or someone. It's part of your identity. I sat down with Todd, who his all morning was getting, almost couldn't come to lunch because there were so many calls of people who were like, what now? What happens? And, and so many, I'm not saying it's an easy thing to lose a lot in the stock market or to walk through a difficult time financially, but what he was talking to is client after client who's had no hope because of one day bad stock training because of where their bets were placed. But because of Christ's sacrifice, we have Christ's certainty. We need to move forward. I'm going to run out of time. Number three on our outline, right? The, the Number three is present counsel. We're going to talk about this as well, present counsel. Right now, right here, there's present counsel, right? So here's, now I want you not to miss this, right? Here's what he says in Psalm 16, verses seven and eight. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So David had a number of advisors from Nathan, the prophet, uh, to Joab, the military leader, but he looked above all to God for counsel. So for David, time with the Lord was not a box to be checked off daily. He sought the Lord in times of critical decisions uh, during the night or any time during the day. David's confidence came from the nearness to God and the divine wisdom available to him. Heart, it says my heart, right? It it says my heart instructs me. Heart is actually literally kind of the organs deep inside the body. He, He, David quote, set the Lord before him, unquote. He made a conscious choice to seek the Lord. We can do the same because of that security. He knew he could not be shaken. Shaken literally means to express a lack of security or safety. So no matter what happens, you can have a reality where your lives are not shaken by the circumstances. Depends on where we look, how we train our hearts. I don't you hope you don't miss that when Lisa got up right at the beginning and she was doing the announcements. She said, we have to train our hearts 
to see the goodness of God. Because the reality is things go up, down, things are difficult, things are challenging, and we don't know. I met with a family who escaped from, Ukraine, from Kiev in Ukraine, and now are living here in Chicago. We have a significant Chicagoland population of Russian and Ukrainians. And to sit down and to meet with them and to say, we lost everything, but we still see the goodness of God. Something's different in that mindset. And you can't take that away. See, that's the difference. You can't take that away. See, today, though, it seems a lot of Christians are shaken, not secure. There's a lot of difference between the two, right? Now, why would we not be? Because we have this ever-present, wonderful counselor. We literally, at Christmas time, read this verse in Isaiah 9, 6, which says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So in the midst of this, we can cling to the goodness of God. And sometimes you will have to cling to the goodness of God. Or as Lisa said, you'll have to train yourself to see, train our hearts to see the goodness of God. Now I mentioned this is actually quoted in my life verse. Um, life verse is kind of, it's kind of a Christian thing. I don't know that there's not like a, a Bible verse that says you have, should have a life verse, maybe second opinions, chapter four, verse 11 or something like that. But my life verse is actually, um, probably the worst life verse ever. Um, well, there's some pretty bad ones, so I won't read those. Uh, but, but my life verse is actually, is actually found in Acts chapter 13. You don't need to turn there for the sake of time, but it says this in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, and a little more paraphrased translation, it says this, for David, right, so this guy was writing this psalm, so my life verse has David in it, for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, died, was buried with his fathers, and his body rotted. That's my life verse. <laughs> Not a little weird? But it really is. Like, like, like I, I want to like put it on a little, my wife won't let me put it on a plaque in the house. I mean, it actually says in the ESV, it's a little more poetic. It says, for David, after he served the Lord in his gen generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But I mean, he died and his body rotted is what that means. You say, Ed, why is that your life verse? I hope you're asking that question because I love the phrase from someone by the name of Count Zinzendorf, right? So here's what Count Zinzendorf said. He said, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Pretty simple. Preach the gospel. As a pastor, I'm going to preach the gospel die and be forgotten. Because my confidence and my security is not in me or, 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 or ultimately what I do or who I am or where I've been. It's ultimately in the fact that I can run after the goodness of God. That God is good when the world is bad and one day we will see fully the goodness of God. And in this day, we can train our hearts to see the goodness of God today. So for me as a pastor, it's preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. And for all of us, we can say, let God use us in our generation, we'll die and be buried with our fathers and our bodies will decompose because ultimately it's not about us it's about God and God's goodness and I've seen the goodness of God which leads to number four and finally is the idea of this pleasure forever right this idea of this promised compassion that goes on forever so let's look at that, right? Because this compassion of God brings joy and pleasure. It's this promised compassion that God has for us. And we're still getting to because of Christ's sacrifice, we can have Christ's certainty. So look at verse 9. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure 
for you will not abandon my soul. Okay, we got to the soul now. We're going to get to that. So there is a goodness of God in this life and a goodness of God in the life to come. For my soul, do not abandon my soul or let your holy one see corruption. Now we get a hint. Wait a second. Holy one? Is David calling himself the holy one? This is where this passage is actually quoted in the New Testament as referring to Christ. So David's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the inerrant word of God, and he's saying these words, for you not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is the words that apply to Jesus, or let your holy one see corruption, which the words apply to Jesus. You may, Because we know that actually David's body rotted. That's what my life verse says. It says, let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When the Bible's written, particularly when there are prophetic verses, those prophetic verses have a meaning in that day, but they also point forward to a meaning later. And on two occasions in the New Testament, the apostles quote this passage as referring to Christ. It also refers to us and our situation, and it refers to David and his situation, right? Knowing God's grace, love, and provision brings gratitude, and gratitude is the pathway to joy. Because David's hope is in God, he found joy both in his heart and in his whole being. Some people say that being a Christian is restricting and confining. I don't find that to be the case at all. I don't find that to be the case at all, right? There's a cost to following Jesus, absolutely, but Jesus takes away nothing that is for our good. And he takes away all those things, ultimately, that would harm us. So David... What's the result of knowing God's great compassion for us? This clear compassion, this powerful compassion. On the one hand, it says, we know God will not abandon us in death. Abandon my soul to Sheol, which is again applied to Jesus. I'm going to get that in a minute. Not let your holy one see corruption. So not fearing death is a really, really big deal. And it also reminds us in the worst situation we're in today, we still see the wonder of the Savior. Not the worst situation, but the wonder of the Savior is our focus. So on June 19th, 1865, when General Order 3 was read there, been there in Galveston Harbor, when actually the Emancipation Proclamation had taken place years before, but people still enslaved in Texas, enslaved people then heard this, they often had a rich Christian commitment already, right? They had, people had tried to hold this back in some way. You might want to Google the slave Bible to get a picture of how white supremacist masters would actually take out the book of Exodus and other parts that speak of liberation. Matter of fact, let me encourage you to consider watching a documentary. It's out by Our Daily Bread just out a few days ago. It's called Faith and Juneteenth. You can find it easily online. It doesn't cost anything. It gives you more background of the situation. But I want you not to miss this, right? So when this was announced, the slaves saw it as rightfully a jubilee. Maybe you heard the word jubilee because it's been people talking about it in the UK because of the Queen. But the first jubilee actually takes place in the Old Testament. We get the word from that jubilee with the freeing of the slaves and the celebration. So what you may not hear so much today, but hopefully you'll be reminded of today in our gathered worship on that day, which is often called the second independence day because it put forth to the rest of the enslaved people that they too were free, much still to go. But on that day, they called it the Jubilee, and it was a Christian celebration back then. Uh, You actually see, you should read some of the history and see how people, how freed blacks 
how formerly enslaved people worshiped the Lord and pointed to his goodness. So here's the thing I don't want you to miss. They also knew of the goodness of God before that jubilee. Matter of fact, the goodness of God before that jubilee was what gave them strength often to make that. Actually, the goodness of God and his work in our lives actually led to many Christians engaging in the abolitionist movement to seek to make the world because Jesus had come and the kingdom of God has come and we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven to say we're going to work towards this day, this second independence day. So they gathered. And they worshiped, and it built a tradition that you can also acknowledge the goodness of God in the midst of the painful situation they were in, and then rejoice in the jubilee from when they were freed. Because don't miss, don't think that that, that ended the suffering of people we now call African Americans. Matter of fact, later on, a sermon would become famous that might be helpful for us. It's actually S.M. Lockridge first preached the sermon. It later became popularized in many different settings. He was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, an African-American church. He was there from 1953 to 1993. So this is a century after Juneteenth, and yet the struggles still continue, the civil rights movement. Or we can go back before that. Juneteenth was actually celebrated for a season until the Jim Crow laws kept it from being so. So later on, Lockridge would preach this sermon, which later would become famous, which speaks to our situation that we can run after the goodness of God when the world is bad and then ultimately see the fullness of God on the other side. He preached this. He said, he talked about the situation, the brokenness of the world, the struggles of the civil rights movement when he would write and then preach this sermon. And he, he'd talk about how people were pushing back. There might be violence against the movement. And he would say, it's Friday. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's a-sleeping. Judas is betraying. And then he'd say, but Sunday's a-coming. I've been in an African-American context. There's a cadence that goes with that. You're going to have Pastor James Meeks here tomorrow. And let me tell you, I've had the privilege of preaching there at Salem. And James is actually one of my students. He's doing his master's degree with us at Wheaton College. But let's be honest, I'm, I'm a student of James Meeks. So when I got there to preach, he, he said to he kind of coach me a little bit on the cadence. And I can't do it like James Meeks can do it. But you can hear it in the traditional African-American church. And Lockridge would say, it's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The crowd, the council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter's denying. But they don't know that Sunday's a-coming. He said, it's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robed him in scarlet. They crowned him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's a-coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. His spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the world's winning, people are sinning, the evil's grinning. It's Friday, the soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross, and they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something, Sunday's a-coming. And the sermon powerfully goes on. And on that Juneteenth in 1865, the enslaved people who were often followers of Jesus celebrated Jubilee, but it was still Friday and Sunday's still coming. And for us, that's still true. It's Saturday still for us on planet Earth. 
between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus before when he makes all things right. But this passage reminds us, so let me come back to you, because of Christ's sacrifice, we can have Christ's certainty. Look with me quickly at Acts chapter 2, verses 26 through 31 on the screen. It says, therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. This is Peter preaching to God's people, preaching to call people to follow Christ. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. For you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on to say, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set out one of his descendants on his throne. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. It's our hope in salvation in the midst of even a difficult time. We train our hearts to look to the goodness of God but one day we'll fully see the goodness of God. And he's faithful now. The song we sang says, in all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. It goes on to say, you have led me through the fire in the darkness night. So you might be walking through a difficult time. You might be walking through some of the challenge in the dark moment. But you can train yourself to see the goodness of God. So this passage here, this Psalm 16, it's about David, it's about Christ, and it speaks to us. Because of Christ's sacrifice, what Jesus did dying on the cross for our sin and in our place, we can have that ever-present counsel, that peace that passes all understanding. We can with certainty recognize that though we are walking through a difficult time, and some of you are and some of you are not, but some of you will, and in the midst of that, you can always run after the goodness of God, not the idols. The song we're going to sing at the end of our service is actually great, Are You Lord? It says, you bring light into darkness. But great are you, Lord. So you may wonder how David, who got in trouble, did bad things, faced the consequences of his sin, his failures, and his faults. But he would always see the goodness of God. And because of God's goodness, we too can train ourselves to look for the goodness of God today and one day with confidence walk in the goodness and grace of God forever as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want to invite you today to receive by grace and through faith the good news of that gospel with confidence that you bring light into darkness, Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this day. We're reminded that generations have gone before us, formerly enslaved people at Galveston, worshiping at that jubilee. 2,000 years, Christians in difficult and hard times looking and trusting for the goodness and grace of God. Lord, we are reminded again and again and over and over that you can be trusted, that you are good. And Lord, for those who are struggling or hurting right now, Father, we are reminded just as the preacher preached that it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. You're going to come and make all things right and set things back the way they're supposed to be and restore and redeem 
bring about that full reconciliation and we can say with confidence that you, O oh Lord, are good. Lord, help us to train ourselves to see the goodness of God. But Lord, help us to walk in confidence that because of Christ's sacrifice, we can have Christ's certainty. So even as this passage reflects Christ prophetically, we can have the same certainty because of Christ's sacrifice, his death on the cross for our sin and in our place, we can have Christ's certainty. Great are you, Lord. You bring light into darkness. Just in the same spirit of prayer you're in right now, would you stand with me? Let's stand up together. Father, we come before you aware of the beauty and the goodness of God, and we give you praise, glory, and honor as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.